0: Well, comrade, what now?
1: Straightforward conversation.
0: Huh. All right. You told me at the beginning of this episode before we got on that you had a gimmick. I didn't realize that your gimmick was sexual harasser. (laughs) 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 Uh, That's good. Okay, good. Okay. <laughs> Apparently I have a good sexual harassment voice. Alright. That's, that's not Drew. what I was going for, but But that's what you did. You, you made the laugh. Yeah. Yeah. Alright. Yeah, you said you had a gimmick and I was uh, some, I was curious to see what it was you were gonna go for and uh, Yeah. You did something. Yeah. You I left mean, me with an impression. It, I guess it's
2: kind of fitting we're going to talk about Green Lantern today and one of the most famous Green Lantern writers of all
0: time is a guy who uh who uh well, you he know, was substantially worse than a sexual harasser, but Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I I guess they're in the same ballpark. I I don't know. I don't know. I'm very nervous about where this conversation is going, and I would prefer to just jump right into the podcast episode. Welcome to Between the Cutters, where we talk about the stories within the panels. I'm your co host, Albert, and with us is our other co host. Yo, what's up, everybody? I'm
2: the other co host. My name is Drew, and I am not a sexual harasser. He just plays one on TV. I play one on the podcast. Because the
0: podcast. <laughs> when
2: albert is on the other end listening to my voice i can easily imagine him his ears being tickled by the words coming out of my tongue uh
1: hey yeah. albert
0: yeah sure <laughs> hey albert
1: <laughs> what are you wearing right now
0: none of your business that is absolutely, <laughs> absolutely none of your business. <laughs> Anyways, for today's episode, we are going to cover Green Lantern Alli- Legacy and Green Lantern Alliance. We, uh, well, I guess there really is no theme for it. It was just a book that caught both of our interest, and we both happened to read it, and we thought it would make a good podcast episode. So here we be. Yeah, it's one of
2: those things where sometimes it just makes sense to podcast about things that we both read. You know, it kind of kills two birds with one stone. Instead of forcing ourselves to read something that we weren't planning to read just for the podcast,
0: why not just talk about something that we were going to read anyway? For a little bit of behind the scenes, uh, for how we do podcasting, I will say that this year we have been doing a lot more of that, and it's certainly a more efficient use of our time. Instead of, well, that isn't to say that there aren't times where there are things that we do exclusively for the podcast, but it's just that things.
2: we we both tend to be pretty lazy, so whatever
0: makes things more <laughs> expedient and yeah efficient, yeah, that, that's usually what we go for. Exactly. And I think this was just the one instance where he had read it earlier this year, and I ended up buying my own copies at some point, and ending uh, ended up reading it not too not too long after. And it just again, it just made sense that since we both read it, we might as well just write uh, do a review on it and uh, have a discussion. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep.
2: And these are two books, just to be clear. Uh, Two related books, because the second book is a direct sequel. But Green Lantern Legacy is the first one, and the second one is Green Lantern Alliance. Both of these are graphic novels published under DC's DC Graphic Novels for Kids imprint. So they're definitely friendly enough for all ages, Hmm. even though the intro to our podcast episode isn't really all-ages friendly. But whatever.
3: (laughs) (laughs)
0: uh yeah whatever indeed (laughs) (laughs) both of these books
2: are written by min Lay and drawn by andy tong legacy is the first book of the duo that one was published in january of 2020 and it was colored by sarah stern and lettered by ariana meyer alliance is the sequel and that one was published in october of 2022 the second book is colored by Sarah Stern and Carrie Strachan and lettered by Seda Timofonte. So these books came out uh, pretty recent times, at least by our standards, because we're old. So something that came out like three years ago is still relatively recent in our minds.
0: Hmm. Wait, did these books come out three years ago?
2: The first one, or... January 2020.
0: Okay. When did Alliance come out? Let me take a look at this. Man,
2: I, I just said what when it came out.
1: You were,
2: it was
0: like you just tuned me out. <laughs> that was it's like less than a minute ago, dude. I need to be able to read these things myself, all right? All right? I it's, thank you the it's, it's how, I retain, you it's how it I retain information, man. <laughs> you, you have the document that I'm reading off uh, of in front of you. October 2022. Okay, there we go. I see it. Okay, I see it. I'm looking at the document. Um. Yeah, I, I do think I do think that we've made more of a we. You know, we we've talked about this a little bit in the past, but we do want to make an attempt to, uh, you know, be a little bit contemporary, a little bit classic. Uh, you know, we we don't want to just talk about, you know, just the old stuff that we grew up with, or um, uh, you know, stuff from a very particular point in time that we both obviously love but you know being a comics podcast we want to cover the spectrum and really be able to do our due diligence and cover you know just stuff all over the place uh just anything that is comics related that we can discuss and bring glory to comics so yeah uh this this is our attempt at being relevant <laughs> you said spectrum Because we're talking
1: about Green Lantern, baby. Why do you do this?
0: Why do you do this? Why do you do this?
1: (laughs) I thought you were making a play on words, man. (laughs) Uh, Anyways. Yeah. So. Let me ask you a question, man. Before we dive into these
2: two books. What are your general thoughts on Green Lantern as a concept?
1: Uh well, I think
0: in high school I I really did I did enjoy the idea of the Green Lantern Corps and the Green Lantern um property as a whole. Uh it was something that I don't think I had read any good Green Lanterns yet, but I just enjoyed the idea of space cops and having this ring of power and all that stuff. So there was a part of me that really uh, enjoyed it when I was in high school uh, to the point where I was really into the... Not, I was going to say Emerald Dawn, but not, not that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was really into the Emerald Twilight, I think was what it was called. And that was the period of time where they introduced Kyle Rayner and killed all the Green Lanterns. And, you know, that was their big gimmick to try to make Green Lantern hot again. And that that was the, the Green Lantern that I was getting into, you know, that I was introduced to uh, when I was first getting into Green Lanterns. But I guess as I've aged, I don't know. I think I still have some affection for Green Lantern, but there are things about it that, kind of annoy me and bug me. I I do think that the Green Green Lantern that became popular in the recent era, uh, the Geoff Johns, Hal Jordan, Green Lantern, you know, Renaissance, I guess, if you want to call it, was not a Green Lantern that I was really into. And if anything, it was something that just cemented how much I had soured on Geoff Johns and his writing um you want to go on a rant here and tell us why (laughs) you ain't down with the jeff johns green lantern oh man where do i even begin dude uh let's see well okay uh first of all i think for me the thing that really annoyed me was the return of hal jordan which i have to say wasn't anything that i was particularly against to begin with Mm-hmm. Uh, I was I was actually probably in favor of it uh, when when it came out. But oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I, well, okay, maybe not in favor, but I was okay. Okay, I wasn't against it, but I wasn't necessarily for it either. But I think when they announced it and there were they were putting all this hype on it, it was like, oh man, okay, uh, it's the return of Hal Jordan, you know, return of the king, whatever, right? But when I was reading Green Lantern Rebirth, and I I probably have to say Green Lantern Rebirth was was what broke my back on on Green Lanterns and I think so much of that miniseries was for me anyways really just written in a way that yeah it really just felt like it was an exercise in returning to the status quo of well none of this stuff really matters we just want to bring Hal Jordan back it wasn't Anything that was clever it didn't necessarily have anything to say about Green Lantern as a concept or what was at the core of Green Lantern. It was just how do we bend over backwards to return Hal Jordan to being Green Lantern? And I, I I remember it was a it was a thing where as the issues were coming out I was buying the issues and as I was reading it I was just like no way they're gonna just you know flip a switch or wave a magic wand essentially and bring him back. Right. I was like, no way they're going to do that. They've got to. i I'm expecting something more from them. Right. And that's essentially what they do is, Oh yeah. He, uh, he cloned a body of himself or something like that. And uh, <laughs> uh, no, no, it wasn't even that it was, uh, I don't even remember what it was, but it it was, it was not a very satisfactory explanation for me for how he came back and what the purpose of all that was and i don't remember honest.
2: where his body came from or his his reborn his rebirth body but yeah i do remember they bent over backwards trying to explain away all the genocide he committed exactly, by saying exactly. that it was actually a different entity that was actually named parallax that he, yeah. that parallax wasn't a name that he concocted when he decided to you know turn against the core and
0: uh it was a parasite. It yeah, was Yeah, it was a, a parasite a that infected him and took over. It was So it he was an actual mind virus. It was the woke mind virus that infected the, him. <laughs> go woke, go broke. <laughs> it was a woke mind virus that infected him and caused him to become <laughs> evil and kill all the Green Lanterns. Uh, Yeah, that was the other thing. Okay, so not only did it excuse Hal Jordan by saying it wasn't his fault, this, this parasite took over his body and forced him to kill all these people. But after that, all of the dead Green Lanterns were brought back to life. Not only was Hal Jordan brought back to life, all the Green Lanterns were brought back to life. Coast City was restored. You know, like maybe they didn't go so far as to bring all of the citizens of Coast City back to life, but they might as well have. Yeah, it was very bizarre choices right there, just
2: erasing everything that had happened in the most ridiculous.
0: It was just a reset. Wishy washy. The the easiest, laziest reset button that they could have pressed. Yeah, and and just for disclosure's sake, I'm pretty sure it was the first series that I was consciously buying where I didn't even buy the end up buying the rest of it after after it came out. It was Even just, though you
2: knew it was only six
0: issues, you, you gave up in the middle because it just broke you. I think so. I think the scene where or, or the issue where Hal Jordan comes back and you know where he makes his full comeback at that point once they kind of tell you, oh yeah, this is this is you know the once they pull back the curtain and reveal this is what what is happening at that point i was just like that's lame and i just stopped even though i was maybe like two or three issues from the end of it yeah
1: how sad is that (laughs) it's pretty disappointing
0: yeah and then well okay uh i can't say i'm a fan of the artist or the art at this point so there's that too of rebirth yeah of rebirth and I'd say that the artist was a big part of that Green Lantern era for, you know, for a period of time following it. And I just have associations with him that just sour me on it even more. So there's that. Uh, yeah. And Yeah. And GF Johns has just been consistently getting worse and worse uh, with every thing that he's put out since then. Um I don't know what I'd consider his bottom but I do think for me anyways rebirth is if not the first thing that indicated that my love for him had evaporated or my enjoyment of his work had evaporated, but it was it's up there, you know. It's definitely mm-hmm. a milestone in that sense. <clears throat> What about the rest of his run after Rebirth? Did you read any
2: of it? Because people did like the ongoing stuff, and he wrote it for quite some years.
0: He did, he did. I, I don't think I could go back to it after that, though. Honestly, I think so you, n-
2: you never checked out any of it. You never read any bits and pieces of any arcs or
0: anything. No, nah, I haven't. I although I I might be willing to give the Robert Venditti run some a chance, more of a chance. Yeah. So, yeah. There's that. Um, the other thing about Green Lantern that is just a personal thing that bugs me is the fact that we're at a point in time where, you know, the Green Lantern... I I, I went from going to a place in my life where there was one Green Lantern, the last Green Lantern, which was Kyle Rayner, which I thought was kind of a cool angle to approach it from, to a point where anyone and everyone can be a Green Lantern. That's something that's always been sticking point with me and it's weird how many green lanterns earth has exactly exactly right they seem to have this hard fast rule where space is big and every sector of space has one green lantern but for some weird reason earth has like 10 (laughs) you know and then they're constantly generating new ones which which is kind of funny considering this is a story about a new green lantern but I will say I can ignore it. I can ignore that fact for for the sake of my enjoyment of this book, but I I also have to acknowledge that that is something that has always stuck in my craw. Does it matter that
2: Legacy and Alliance are their own separate continuity from the mainstream DCU?
0: I think that helps. Well, does it? No. No, I I think it's just easier for me to just ignore it and just to read it. Like I don't I don't wanna qualify it in order for myself to enjoy it in this particular sense or in this particular case. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I I'd much rather just say, well, it is what it is and I'll just enjoy it purely based on its own merit.
2: Do you have a favorite Green Lantern? Is it Kyle
0: Rayner? Um I think so. I think that's the Green Lantern that I grew up with. So I did enjoy Kyle Rayner quite a bit. He's a guy that gets zero love. In fact, I'd probably go so far as to say he gets sharted on. You know when you he gets what? Sharted on. That's when you uh, fart, but it's <laughs> so uncontrolled <laughs> that it ends up emptying your bowels okay. uh, unexpectedly. So not I only heard that is one it. So not only is it the sound and the force of a fart, but it is also the liquid substance, the surprising unexpected liquid substance that accompanies it. So there's no chance it could be solid? Uh, I don't think I've ever imagined it being solid. I, I imagine that once it gets to that point where you have a fart that you're mistaken that you've mistaken for just pure gas uh at that point it's a liquid
2: mm, i see mm-hmm. thanks for mm-hmm. educating us
0: yeah you know that's one of the one of our many tenets of this podcast it's written in stone somewhere uh to talk about comics and to explain shards to people
1: yeah uh-huh <laughs> All we got to do
2: that's left is make fun of Todd McFarlane and Chris Claremont, and we'll complete the trifecta.
0: There we go. There we go. We've already mentioned their names, so we're halfway there. (laughs) And we've mentioned their name in association with Wet Farts. So, yeah, I think that counts.
2: There we go. (laughs) We have accomplished our mission.
0: (laughs) What about you, Drew? What, What are your thoughts on Green Lanterns or the Green Lanterns? As a concept, I think they were yeah. a concept
2: I did enjoy when I was a kid. Like you being a kid of the 90s, I grew up on that Ron Mars stuff. So knowing that he was writing Silver Surfer at the time, which I was, which was my favorite comic as a kid, uh, I had to check out Green Lantern. So you know, it's it's another kind of similarly themed, sort of science fictiony superhero kind of story. And I think that was the draw for me, so when I started reading the Green Lantern stuff of the nineties that Ron Mars was writing, it pretty much was with the story where Hal goes nuts and Cal becomes the Green Lantern, and then from there uh I kind of followed his adventures not super closely, but i don't yeah, I don't think I liked the comic quite as much as Silver Surfer. But I did at least read it at the store. Um <laughs> if that counts. I didn't
3: I, I didn't pay for it, but I yeah, read I it, the it. The yeah, off the shelf. Off the rack. Yeah,
1: exactly. Uh, exactly. Uh.
2: So yeah, I had I did have an affinity for Kyle, especially when Grant Morrison started writing JLA and Kyle was the Green Lantern on the team. That was some good Mm -hmm. stuff right there, man. I think that was what solidified Kyle, in my mind, that whole era. And when they brought back Hal, I did think that was pretty lame, too. Maybe at the time, I gave in to the hype, and I was like, okay, this is a big thing. They're bringing back the classic Green Lantern. But then, Mm -hmm. uh, subsequently, seeing what they ended up doing with Kyle was pretty disrespectful. and. I think, yeah, I think it just went to show how Jeff Johns, all he really wanted to do was to bring back all the characters that he liked when he was a kid reading comics, you know, and he brought back, uh, Barry Allen and got rid of Wally as the Flash, even though in my mind, Wally is the Flash, you know, but that was the, I think that was even worse. Yeah. Flash Rebirth was definitely worse. Yeah. That one. Yeah. I didn't buy it. I borrowed it from the library, but I think I read the first one or two issues and then I returned the book without reading the rest of it, which is pretty
0: rare for me. I usually finish what I read. Yeah. Especially when it's that short. The thing about Flash Rebirth, uh, Rebirth that sort of makes it worse is it almost feels like he was emboldened by the success. Well, he was definitely emboldened by the success of Green Lantern Rebirth. Yeah. And then he would be okay to bring back barry allen and this was at a period in time where wally west had been the flash for like what 20 years or something at that point Mm -hmm. maybe more yeah so that was you know I'm, i'm well aware that these are all fictional characters but that was like some mad disrespect
2: yeah which is funny because jeff johns was responsible for writing a pretty lengthy run on the flash with wally as the flash that's true So So it's not like even say
0: that, that Wally put him on the map.
2: Yeah, exactly. So it's not like his flash comics where he was writing Wally were bad or anything. Like he he didn't it didn't seem like he treated the character with disdain, but I guess once he had the security of being the top dog at DC Comics, he figured it was time to, you know, put all his favorites back into play and get rid that of was all the master
0: plans exactly
2: <laughs> exactly he was the ozymandias of yeah dc universe of the mid-2000s i did it 30 minutes ago
0: <laughs> <laughs> 35 minutes 35 minutes ago uh, yeah yeah man did you have a favorite green lantern or yeah. was it just my yeah. favorite green lantern is Poozer? little pooser nice, nice. He's a, he's a fun uh he's a fun green lantern. I do like Tomar Ray too. Tomar, Tomar Ray has a pretty nice fun look. He's kind of yeah. a, a seahorse or something. <laughs> yeah, he's got that yeah. uh he's kind of got a fish face, but his uh on
2: his head he's got like this mohawk or a, like a fin that looks like a mohawk.
0: Yeah, that's yeah. him, right? Yeah, yeah. He, he I like personally he always stood out to me more than Kilowog, but you know, hey, all of them were kind of cool in their own way. What was the chipmunk called? Gnort. Uh,
3: <laughs> Gnort not Gnort. Pretty,
0: not Gnort. No, uh, he there was a chipmunk. He's actually in in the book. Oh, uh, oh, the literal chipmunk. Yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. Uh, I, I think that wasn't that guy's name just Chip, but it's like C H apostrophe P or something. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it's definitely a concept you can have fun with, right? Yeah. But. There's
2: been a lot of memorable Green Lanterns. You got Mogo from the Alan Moore story. You've got uh, Sinestro, the reverse Green Lantern, I suppose you could call him. Yeah. There's uh, Jon Stewart, Guy Gardner. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I feel like with Jon Stewart as Green Lantern he was another one that I think was a uh, key Green Lantern in our era because of the cartoon.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: So
2: it's been oh, kind of yeah, nice to see a him get shine.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's there's quite a few. Uh, though, I don't remember there was. I'm I'm trying to look for the words to to say this without sounding ignorant, but there was the what the Muslim Green Lantern and the uh, 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 Latin or Hispanic yeah. Green Lantern,
1: Jessica Cruz and
2: what's the other dude's name? Simon. Yeah, I don't even Simon something. I think I forget. Yeah, actually, those, did those you ever read any books with them? I definitely read some stuff with Jessica Cruz. Nothing that really stood out to me. There was another one, another uh, graphic novel for younger readers that had Jessica Cruz in it, but uh, I'd already, i I'd have to look it up to remember what it was called. I, I can't remember off the top of my head. It wasn't anything right, right. that particularly stood out to me.
0: Right. Yeah.
2: Yeah, but both of those characters came out during an era when I really wasn't interested in Green Lantern, so Same here. I can't say that I read too many
1: of their comics.
0: Yeah then there's also guys like alan scott um mm-hmm. and, uh yeah they they even had a couple of uh else where i do remember they had an asian green lantern a long time ago uh i, I want to say ron mars wrote that one too mm-hmm. yeah there was also but, a, the asian green lantern in batman beyond Yeah, yeah yeah i think he was well I, I don't wanna officially say that he was Tibetan because you know, they they might uh the Chinese government might you know they might come after us. They might try to censor us. <laughs> Not us, but you know, like I you know like a, so much media that gets produced and sent all over the world, uh the Chinese government's very sensitive about the idea of Tibet, so there's a chance that <laughs> You know, uh, when they created that character, they might have to walk that aspect of his character back or his backstory back. Right, right. So I, I don't even know if he's really uh, Tibetan anymore because it'll stop him from selling comics in China or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh,
2: I just looked it up and I found the title of that Jessica Cruz comic I was telling you about, but it's called Unearthed. A Jessica Cruz story okay, okay. yeah that, that's another one from it's not from their kids line but it's from their YA line
1: right
3: Came right. Out a couple
2: of years ago too yeah do you have any
0: favorite Green Lantern comics or stories huh that's hard to say I, I I think I'm at the point where for me a lot of Green Lantern comics that I do read just kind of exist more for their nostalgia more than any actual genuine love that i might have for them but i will admit that there have been some very good green lantern comics that came out recently that i haven't had a chance to read so there's a chance that those are green lantern comics that would very quickly take the top spot in my in my you know library of uh favorite green lantern stories so
2: what are you thinking of
0: uh like i haven't read that far sector comic so there's that that's something that i think could be a, a great green lantern story mm-hmm. uh yeah there's let's see what else is there i'm trying to think oh uh, of
1: the
2: green lantern by morrison and sharp
0: oh there's that too yeah I, I do own those i haven't had a chance to read those so there's that uh I was I was thinking of the Green Lantern Earth 1 by Hardman and Becco.
2: Yeah, yeah. Oh,
0: so I haven't read that either, but that's something where I'm confident that it's better than it's most likely better than any Green Lantern comic that I've read to date, you know. Mhm.
3: Mhm.
1: Yeah. What about you? Well, I would definitely say those two volumes of Green Lantern Earth One by
2: Becca and Hardman are really high up there, if not at the top for me at the moment. Unfortunately, it doesn't seem like they'll ever be able to complete the trilogy, which I think is highly unfortunate. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: But at least with those first two, we got two really high quality stories
1: and Mm
2: -hmm. yeah and i mean each one of those is a complete story in and of itself like obviously there was stuff in the second volume that kind of seeds a third volume and we'll just never get it but yeah yeah other than that like they're they're great reimaginings of the green lantern mythos and hal jordan like, it's definitely, as far as Hal Jordan goes, that's probably my favorite Hal Jordan stuff.
3: Hmm. Hmm.
2: But I, I really do like the hard science fiction aspect of that series, and the artwork is just excellent stuff, man. I really like Gabriel Hardman. It feels like we haven't seen it's his fantastic. art in a while. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
2: I did read the Morrison Sharp Green Lantern, and I liked it a lot. I'd probably want to reread it. All in one go, because I, I was reading them like pretty piecemeal, because there would be months in between volumes, and I, I think I read like the first one before the pandemic started, and then I wasn't able to get the other volumes until like midway through the pandemic, so like a bunch of time had passed, and I I think I would just enjoy it more if I was able to reread it and kind of binge it all, you know? Right, right, that makes sense. But there are definitely a few issues here and there that were really memorable to me and overall like the whole run was just some awesome stuff and Liam Sharp's art and that was really great fun to look at super rich and, and detailed. The other thing like you I haven't read far sector I do own a copy of it and I flipped through it quite a few times I just haven't gotten around to reading it but. I'm pretty pumped about it, man. Like it is something that I do want to
0: get to reading. Maybe,
2: maybe we should read it for the podcast and, you know, motivate ourselves into doing it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I haven't got a copy of that for myself yet because I'm committed to them making a hardcover someday. And yeah, my hope is that once, if that is ever realized, I will get it then. But other than that, like I think she looks cool. I like her her design, so it's fun. Yeah, the artwork yeah. is awesome in that one. Mm-hmm. Jamal Campbell, he's great. Nice, nice. All right, anything else? Or well, let's. How about this for a question? So since we're about to delve into this uh, Green Lantern story that they wrote, before we preach that topic, I guess I'm curious to see. I guess, what kind of key elements you look for when you're thinking of a good Green Lantern story or the ideal Green Lantern story for you?
2: I think a big part of it has to be imagination
1: because that's what the powering is all about. Mm -hmm. And a story that doesn't give
2: you that sense of wonder and awe and spark some kind of creativity feels like that goes against the ethos of what it means to be a Green Lantern. So I definitely think that a good Green Lantern story has to have something to do with the imagination and, I suppose, willpower, since that's the other gimmick of the ring. Hmm. But other than that, I feel like the ring itself is a symbol that kind of lets people tell different types of stories in various kinds of settings. Like it's not necessarily, they don't, you don't necessarily have to do a space cop kind of story with a green lantern character, right? Like you can have something like the grant Morrison stuff where he's totally spending his time in, in alien planets and civilizations going on patrol and investigating all sorts of stuff, visiting, planets and realms that are beyond our, beyond, you know, the extraordinary, but you could also do stories that are set on earth where a green lantern is, you know, just involved in like maybe more regular kind of crime or just handling, I don't know. I I guess I just think of stuff like the old, uh, hard traveling hero stuff, right? Like the Hal Jordan and Green Arrow stuff that uh Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams did back in the
1: day.
0: Well, I never read it, so I read that stuff. I mean, I know that stuff that gets a lot of accolades as high points and milestones for a particular age group or generation of comic readers but that was stuff that i just never had access to
2: oh okay
0: yeah i i did end up
2: getting trade paperbacks of those at some point like years ago just to familiarize myself with that era but Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I, i think it just goes to show that you can tell like really grounded uh realistic type of stories with green lantern as well like you don't have to Always have him go out in space. I think the main thing is just like having some kind of element of mind expansion, whether that's through sheer imagination and willpower and going on adventures or expanding your mind in stories about social commentary. Mm, I feel like mm. those are probably the best kinds of Green Lantern comics that we've had. That's probably a big reason why I wasn't super interested in the Jeff Johns run, because his stuff was, like, purely about plot, right? Like, plot, fighting, spectacle. Like, if he dealt with willpower, it was in the most basic sense where somebody would grit his teeth and concentrate hella hard so he could beat up a yellow lantern, right? Yeah, yeah. That That's willpower. When you don't give up, when you're fighting some
0: enemy. <laughs> but it... it it just You're describing so... him almost like a shonen character. Yeah, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Uh, that's kind of what it is. Yeah. So I, I think that's probably
2: why the John's stuff didn't grab me. And I, I do remember reading parts of it. Like, I remember the Sinestro Cold War. I read that, and it, like it was an entertaining event. I don't know if I would enjoy it if I reread it now. Like, even at the time, it was, like, a fun action comic, but I don't really think it had anything to say, you know? Right, right. Like, if you go back and read those old Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams comics, yeah, maybe you could say that they're kind of corny or that they're a product of their time, but at least they were trying to do stories that were about something, you know? And that's more ambitious than... Jeff Johns trying to create an entire spectrum of colors with various rings of their own and a gigantic yeah. war going on. Like to me, that that's like kid stuff. But like trying to tell stories about social ills. At least, at least you're trying something, man. At least you're trying to tell a story about the world.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah, agreed. I have more agreed. respect for that. Yeah. I think my answer might be a little different from yours. I, 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 I don't know that I really have any hard set in stone elements that I would require them to be. I, I think for the most part, and maybe this is a cop out or not much of an answer. It, it, it might as well be on par with me saying something like, "I just want them to be good." But yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think. I think that might just be my standard is just yeah I I do I do appreciate my stories when they have some commentary or you know make some sort of statement that is something that I do enjoy uh it's you know I like being able to read my comics and having the ability to think about what's being said after the fact but um, I also wouldn't mind a Green Lantern that's just space opera, right? Just fun space opera, but I'm sure there are some people who would argue that that's exactly what Jeff Johns did exactly, but those are bad,, <laughs> <You know? laughs> and that's the thing those were so corny and just so dumb, so but- But you said you quit reading after, like,
2: four issues of Rebirth.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, Albert, you ain't giving Jeff Johns a fair shake. (laughs) Maybe I'm not, but (laughs) I I can say that I've read enough of his stuff in, in the years since then. Stuff that wasn't even necessarily Green Lantern related. And I thought that stuff was bad to the point where... I don't think I could give his Green Lantern uh, uh, stuff a, a a chance even if I wanted to at this point, you know. <laughs> it's it's just fair enough. Okay, it okay. broke my spirit. That's that's how bad
2: his other stuff was. You read and, so many other bad Jeff Johns comics that you can't go back and read what a lot of other people consider <laughs> some of the best comics he ever did.
0: Exactly, exactly. And maybe that's not enough for some people who are looking for you know an an unbiased take or something like that but that's that's the best i can give you man Mm -hmm. (laughs) at least i can be honest about that uh yeah the the whole oh we're gonna do a a color spectrum of the green lanterns so that we can have all these different tribes and have them go to war against each other that yeah that that was just such it's just such a silly idea i couldn't you know and and maybe someone could argue that is that really that much more silly than any other green lantern uh thing or story that i've seen maybe but yeah i just i can't man <laughs> <laughs> i can't <laughs> i don't got it in me
2: uh i just remembered another great green lantern comic that has that deals with the theme of imagination. And that story is Green Lantern Will World by JMD Mateus and Seth Fisher. Did you ever read that yeah. one?
0: I was thinking about that too, when you were talking about it. And uh, I do own a copy of that. And you're right. That is a very good Green Lantern story. Seth Fisher's art is just fantastic. And JMD, well, he's a guy that we have so much love and respect for anyways. So the it's not a really big surprise that when he tackles Green Lantern that he applies the same creative brush to it that he does with all of the other stories that he's written, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I I certainly think that, yeah, when, when you were talking about how the idea of imagination is something that really is to you something that is a concept that needs to be explored when you know doing when 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 we're, you're doing a Green Lantern story. Uh, that really jumped out at at me as a prime example of that.
2: Yeah, totally. All right, shall we discuss the books that are on the table today? Let's do it. Let's do it to it. All right. We have Green Lantern Legacy and Green Lantern Alliance by Min Lei and Andy Tong. You want to read us the synopses for each of these books, Albert?
0: I will right now go into it. And uh, these are the synopses provided right at the back of the book. So I'll just be reading that to you, you our listeners, so you guys know that what we're reading and just what it's about. 13-year-old Tai Pham lives in the apartment above his grandmother's store where his bedroom is crammed with sketch pads and comic books, but not even his most imaginative drawings can compare to the colorful world he's about to discover. When Ty inherits his grandmother's jade ring, he soon finds out that it is more than just a piece of jewelry. Suddenly, he's inducted into a group of space cops known as the Green Lanterns. He's about to learn that being a superhero takes more than just a ring. Does Tai have the willpower and the imagination to uphold his Ba's legacy? That was Green Lantern Legacy. Now Green Lantern Alliance is the immediate sequel to that, and it goes. Here's the synopsis for that. It's only been a few months since Green Lantern fam in- inherited his ring from his Ba and defeated his nemesis Xander Griffin. But Ty knows their last battle was only the beginning, and even though no one believes him, Ty is determined to prove that Xander is up to his old tricks again. When fires start popping up around Coast City, Ty finds himself stretched thin as he struggles to keep up with school training, working at the store, and following Xander's trail. That is until a new hero known as Kid Flash shows up on the scene with an offer to help. Can the heroes find the arsonist before it's too late?
1: Yeah, so both of these books are an introduction to
2: a new Teenage Green Lantern, 13-year-old Ty. hmm What were your yeah. initial impressions of it? How do you want to... Well, actually, first of all, maybe we should uh, delineate how we're going to talk about these books. Uh, you want to talk about them one by one, or you want to just
1: talk about both of them as a unit? Uh, whew.
0: We can... Oof, that's a... That's a good question. How about we, I guess we could go over them one by one. I guess that makes uh, some sense. We can give each of them a little bit of attention because they do cover different kind of things. Or they they their titles give us an indication of the different themes of each book. Mm-hmm. So I guess it makes sense that we cover them respectively of each other, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I
2: imagine uh, we're probably going to be talking with, uh, or we're probably going to be spoiling various things as we talk about the books, so if anyone listening doesn't want to get spoiled, maybe you should read the books before you listen to the rest of this.
0: Yeah. But anyway,
2: Albert, what was your first impression of Legacy?
0: So... I really didn't know what to expect going into it. I never heard of the writer uh, or the artist. And I explained at the top of the episode just my apprehension towards DC's proclivity to just pump out more Green Lanterns as a way of doing more superheroes or, or as a way of doing more whenever they. It feels like they want to do a story about uh, a new a ethnic person, hero. A new ethnic hero. There we go. I was looking for the most sensitive way to talk about, to, <laughs> to 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 bring it up, and and you got me there. You got me over the ledge. But yeah, it just feels like oh, oh, we want to we want to you know draw attention to Asians and you know give them. The, the the asian community something to 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 look towards as an example of a, a a superhero that's recognizing that recognizes their their community or their 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 peoples and their heritage right and it just feels like whenever they need to do that it's just a matter of well let's just make another green lantern so next thing you know like everyone's a green lantern right i i I mentioned that earlier at the uh earlier uh in this episode but so i think going into it i already had like some apprehensions uh there were things that i wasn't sure of as i was preparing myself to read it things that i was bracing myself for um and yeah, quite honestly, I, I think a lot of the times when they do um, Asian comics or when whenever they do really any comic that tries to that tries to uh, uh, look towards a certain ethnic group or a community as as the focal point, they they don't always stick the landing because you know there's it. It can very easily become condescending or it can very easily just become something where they spend way too much time and effort just constantly reminding you, hey, these are, see, look at how ethnic this person is. See, this <laughs> this is how you know they're ethnic, right? Look at him. Look, Look at him. He's talking about how he eats with chopsticks. He's talking about it, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's stuff like that where uh, you know G. Willow Wilson is someone who who I think of who is someone who's pretty well known for Miss Marvel and how she created this Muslim superhero. And but my issue with her Miss Marvel was that she spent so much time talking about her character spent so much time talking about these things that were a part of their life that it almost felt like it was this giant flashing neon sign that was constantly saying, see, look at this Muslim thing. See, I count that makes it Muslim. So I'm Muslim. Get it. You know? Yeah. And yeah. it could very easily become when, when someone writes a comic about uh, a young Vietnamese person or a young Asian person where so much of the dialogue could end up revolving around the fact that, Oh yeah, uh I went to the sandal shop today because you know, sandals are Asian and uh yeah, look at all this okay, this is just becoming me being ra- racist, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I'm just like looking for examples, but they're just kind of coming off as semi racist, you know? But like it's just this exercise in just pointing out how many you know Asian things that they can talk about because apparently that's what Asians do. All we ever do is talk about Asian things and that's what makes us Asian, you know? And I think Mm -hmm. people who have a better understanding of people (laughs) would understand that no, uh, if you're a part of a certain community and you live in America, those aren't necessarily things that you talk about. They're just part of your daily life and it makes more sense that you show these things without having to explain it. Like when I go to Drew's house or if he comes to my house, there are certain things, certain like understood behaviors or certain uh actions that we take or do just you know, that we are both culturally familiar with. Yeah. But we like don't if like I sit go, around. Like and if, talk if I go to
2: Albert's it. if I go to Albert's house, the first thing I do is I take off my shoes. Yeah, and then I yeah. Then I go rub his leg. <laughs> Because that's how well, we I say hello about to that. each other.
0: <laughs> well, but the thing is, okay, you go to someone's <laughs> house, you take off your shoes. We don't spend our time like talking about it, right? Or joking about it. It's just something that we do, Um, you know, and, and other things are like, <laughs> he doesn't come to my house. He doesn't bow when he sees my parents or anything <laughs> like that. That's not a thing we do, you know, <laughs> I don't know who thinks that's a thing we do, but it's, it's not. <laughs> you know but there are other more subtle ways that we we know inherently to show respect to each other's parents things that are just kind of unspoken but again like a good writer knows how to show these things without necessarily having to monologue about it whenever they come up
3: mhm right that's right
0: yeah so so I think when I, was, when I picked this up to, to read, you were on your guard. I was, I was bracing myself for, yeah. for the worst possible scenario that it could have been. But to be fair, you did read this before me, and I think you had good things to say about it. So I was more open-minded to it being good than the worst possible thing that it could have been.
3: Hmm. hmm
0: yeah i don't know what about you what were your initial thoughts when you saw this and you know picked it up and decided to give it a give it a chance yeah i picked it up
2: i borrowed it from the library like right before the pandemic started because i remember it was one of the last books i checked out from the library before the shelter in place and everything shut down so then i ended up having whatever I had checked out from the library for, like, the next six or eight months or whatever. And this was one of those books. But I I read it pretty early on during the the pandemic, and I did enjoy it. I, I did think it was well done. Like, first of all, just looking at the art, Andy Tong's art is pretty slick. It's solid superhero stuff, you know? Like, it's definitely... Compared to a lot of the other... Kid's graphic novels and y a graphic novels that d c has done his art's more on the traditional superhero side like it you could easily see this kind of art style in one of their mainstream periodicals right but I think he definitely has a solid sense of storytelling, his design work is solid character designs and the the costumes and everything the kids. They look like they are wearing what I imagine kids would wear today. Not that I know anything about fashion or <laughs> any stuff like that. But, you know, he doesn't draw kids wearing fashions like Mark Bagley or somebody, you know? Like, when Mark Bagley draws people wearing stuff, it just seems like he's been looking at the same fashion magazine for the past, like, 25 years or something. And this book actually... At least to me, it feels contemporary. And as for the story itself, I didn't think it was a good one, man. I liked it. It It's something where you could tell that they were obviously trying to be sensitive in portraying Vietnamese culture, Vietnamese American culture. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't ham-fisted, like the kind of stuff that makes us cringe, you know? Exactly. Like, certainly there's things in here that kind of describe elements of their culture, but it's never done in a way where it feels like they're just trying to beat you over the head with some tidbit just to remind you that you're reading a character who's not white, you know?
3: Yeah, yeah.
2: Like, it's all done
0: as part of the story. Yeah. I did just have a thought about that, though. Mm-hmm. And, and it might be a thing where, okay, I'm just going to put it out there because, uh, you know, I don't know how white people think. I don't know what white people think. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll just put it that way, but sometimes I do wonder whether <laughs> white people like that sort of writing because they're so unfamiliar with, different cultures that they need someone to kind of explain explain it in such a explicit way that there's no subtlety whatsoever and it also doesn't really leave the room for the reader to just be like okay there are just some things that i don't know or that i don't understand and it's contingent on me to learn about it on my own so Mm -hmm. I would prefer to just be spoon-fed this information, even though if the it's at the expense of like just really bad dialogue, because you know I need that in order to to understand where these people are coming from, right? Um, right.
2: Yeah. No, I I get what you're saying. I hadn't considered that, but it in some way it does make sense. Like I don't necessarily agree with it, but I I can yeah. easily comprehend that there could be people who feel that way
0: like it to me that explains why like the appeal of something like g willow wilson (laughs)
1: yeah yeah Yeah.
0: and it it reminded me of this one story um a couple of years ago they did a short film one of those pixar short films it was called bow you remember that i do yeah yeah and uh at the time I think there were a lot of articles that were coming out about how uh like Asian families would watch this in theaters and it evoked a different response from Asian families than it did from non Asian people. Yeah. And non Asian people essentially watched that short film. And it's it's a short film that's essentially about empty nest syndrome, right? Yeah. And that's kind of a big thing in Asian culture and asian communities is just the idea of where you go when you reach a certain age um it's it's certainly different than western cultures uh i i don't want to like go into it too much because i i don't think i'd really have the tact to explain it in <laughs> you don't need tact. detail <laughs> well, since <laughs> when
2: did you care about
1: tact, Never stopped you before.
0: <laughs> anyways my point being that so for, for Asian people, it's there's stuff in that story that is almost immediately recognizable to, to them uh, because this is just stuff that is ingrained in us, stuff that our parents kind of instill in us at a very young age, even if they don't necessarily articulate it in the same words. Like, it's not like, our parents all sat us down and gave us the same exact speech right but at the same time i'm i'm pretty sure that we all or most of my asian friends have a similar understanding of those feelings right mm-hmm. and what ended up happening was a lot of people that weren't asian watched that watched that short film and they just thought it was funny there wasn't anything that was really moving or evocative to them about the idea of this woman so so the story the 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 story of this short film is this woman creates this little dumpling and the dumpling takes on a life of its own and she watches it as this dumpling ages and grows over time and she watches as it becomes an adult and you know moves out of the home and uh she just Suffers these feelings of heartache as she's watching this little dumpling baby grow up, right? And then in the end, she she's there with her actual adult son, uh, and yeah, this this entire sequence was just kind of a way to work out her feelings of watching her child like go out into the world, right? Mm-hmm. You have you seen the movie?
1: Yeah, but it was a really long time ago, so it's not
2: refreshing
0: my mind. Right, right. But the thing is, I think because Western culture has more of this focus on on the idea of, oh, when you get to a certain age, you got to get the hell out of my house, you know? Yeah, <laughs> and uh, yeah. you know, that's that's what that's what uh we are preparing you for and that's just kind of the attitude is is uh there's there's just less of a
1: it's a different –
0: there's a different idea of what closeness looks like uh, and and maturing looks like within that uh, dynamic structure, right? So, yeah, it's kind of the idea of how the family
2: unit in a lot of Asian cultures is one where it is – It is fairly common to have households where you have like multiple generations living together, like the grandparents, parents, and children. Whereas, uh, with a lot of white American families, it's not always the case, you know, or it's not as common, rarely the case. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I, I do remember like a lot of my my white friends would would you know they would leave the house or they would be expected to to move out on their own at a pretty young age, you know? Or, you know, like after college, basically, it's like, whereas a lot of my Asian friends, most of us, you know, ended up going back to our parents. And, you know, th- it wasn't anything where it was, like, weird or that our parents were like, you have to move out as soon as you can. And, you know, you're an adult now, so you can't live under this roof unless you pay rent. Yeah. But, you know it's just different cultures so different expectations and different way of like relating to one's yeah. family i suppose
0: exactly and they're they're just i mean I, I don't know maybe some people have these feelings but it it just doesn't really feel like there's as much of a s- sense of like loss to it right or mm-hmm. or if there is it's it's a diff it's it's it almost feels like it's short term right maybe maybe i think the closest equivalent of it is watching your child go off to college or something like that but then it just seems like once that's over that's just kind of it you know Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so i don't know but well again i'm i i'm not from that culture from um you know white culture so i I can't really speak for them and and maybe it's it's something different there but I, i do think that um you know just in short it's it's that idea that there are clearly things that don't necessarily translate and i think there are instances where people are more comfortable having that sort of thing spoon-fed to them in like in with just really bad dialogue you know <laughs> that that isn't realistic in my mind to just how like people from these communities behave or talk you know it's it's it doesn't seem natural it doesn't sound organic and yeah and V. willow wilson in my mind is the primary example of that sort of schlocky storytelling yeah
2: because when i think back to her ms marvel comics i often think about scenes where she'll have kamala khan thinking either thinking or saying to somebody, you know, commenting about how it's so hard having brown skin or something like that. And I just feel like that's not usually how we think, you know, like, yeah, maybe under certain specific circumstances. Sure. That would be a thought, but it's not something like,
0: yeah, I don't don't, sit around. We don't think that all the time, you know? Yeah. Curse my almond eyes. Uh, if I only had big round eyes like the white man, then I would feel I would find myself feeling so much better about if, myself. If only I had blonde hair. Yeah, then exactly. I would be content with my identity. Yeah, that's just I'm not saying that we don't have issues with the way we look or that the way that society sees us. I just don't feel like that's the way that it, that's not the way that it, we would express ourselves. You know? Yeah. 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 It's just weird to think if I ever met someone who had to monologue every time uh they went through something like that, like an Asian that, that did something like that, and me I probably wouldn't want to spend time with that person. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'd just be like, look, man, you just need to you need to chill out. <laughs> You're kind of bumming me out, guy. <laughs> I know, I know you have like Asian identity issues, but like y- you gotta find a better way to deal with it. <laughs> yeah. Uh.
2: And going back to legacy, the book we've been talking about, I I do think one of the ways that it succeeds in that regard is because it it doesn't spend a whole lot of time focusing on how Thai, our protagonist is different from everybody else you know like he has a group of friends that are of different ethnicities from him but they don't really spend their time talking about how different their cultures are or anything like they actually act like friends and the way that their dialogue is it's clear that they grew up together and they you know are familiar with ty's family and like yeah like that his
0: parents and stuff um they're familiar with like the food. They're familiar with mm-hmm. like the customs. You know, the the really small micro customs, right? I mean, I'm not necessarily talking about anything huge. Like, oh, you know, this is what you do when you get married, or this is what you do. It's it like little things, right? Like how to behave, uh, in certain settings in 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 the homestead. Things like that. Things that make sense. You know? Yeah,
2: like bringing bringing his parents food that their parents made or something like that, you know? Exactly, it's, exactly. It's just simple stuff, neighborly kind of stuff that, that you would do yeah. with with anybody of any
0: ethnicity. And they don't make a big deal of it either because it's just, they just do it, you know? It's There's no real discussion about it. Mm-hmm. There's Maybe they'll make like some sort of small statement here and there like, oh, I really like your mom's like soup or her banh mi or something like that and that's kind of the the short of it the 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 long and short of it and that's all you really kind of need is is that one brief statement and I -hmm. I feel like some people might need more which is oh can you explain what this soup is can you explain what the (laughs) you know significance of it is the cultural significance of it is blah 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 and it's like look all he has to say is Oh, I really like this. And you can get from context cues that, Oh, it's some sort of food. Right. And mm-hmm. that's all you really need to know. Right. I, exactly, I think your imagination exactly. can take you the rest of the way without you having to sit there and go, no oh, man, like, but what kind of food is that? And uh, <laughs> what, what is the cultural significance to their peoples? And, you know, it's, it's, no man, just who are you? <laughs> <laughs> get out of my house. <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, yeah. Speaking of house, like even when his friends are at Ty's house, like they take their shoes off and you know, it, it's, there's nothing played up about that. You know, it's just drawn in the art and it's a little detailed, but there isn't any specific focus on the other kids taking off their shoes and saying, Oh, thank you for allowing us to come. We will take off our shoes so that we do not yeah, trample yeah, yeah. on the spirits of your ancestors. Exactly, exactly. Just see them in the house in his room with their shoes off, which is exactly how I think pretty much every Asian household is like,
0: yeah, right. And it's not something that you gotta make a big deal about. It's not something that you gotta make a scene about. It's just that's more normalizing than you know explaining to us in in painful detail what what this is what 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 this all means, right. Mm-hmm. the other thing that i wanted to mention and this this is something that sort of hits a little closer to home but uh early on one of the things that you immediately see is that the the character uh Thai right mm-hmm. he lives he his grandma owns this like local grocery store like an asian grocery store right mm-hmm. and his family lives right on top of it. And that's, I, I don't know if you had similar experience, experiences, but that was something that I grew up with. And I think I knew quite a few people who, you know, as immigrants, when you come to the country, you know, the one of the few things that you can do is you open a store in your community and Mm -hmm. because your parents end up spending so much time working it it's just easier that you live really close to the store or you spend so much of your time in the store so um you know i I understand that circumstances might be different for a lot of people but that was definitely something that i recognized from my childhood
3: Mm -hmm.
0: you know um yeah like i i spent like uh i've told this story a couple of times on the podcast but yeah i spent like a whole bunch of time at my dad's shop when I was like in middle school, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, I, I I thought that was a nice touch.
1: You see a little bit of yourself in
2: young Ty, huh?
0: Uh, just that part. Everything else <laughs> is uh completely foreign to me. Yeah, he had um, friends. He had friends. He had the capacity to be a Green Lantern because he was virtuous and courageous. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a coward. <laughs> <laughs> you could have been a yellow lantern, dude. You could have fed uh, on people's fear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, actually, come to think of it, there's there's a couple of other scenes too. Like so, really early on, Ty's grandma dies, and he he takes on the role of this Green Lantern, and then he goes to the funeral, his his grandma's funeral. And when you look at that page, there's no real explanation to it. There's nothing that's being explained. So when uh, you know, in terms of customs or their culture or anything like that, but as an Asian, and granted I'm a different kind of Asian, I'm not in Vietnamese, but I look at that and there's things in it that I recognize that are similar to my culture and there are things that I understand. And I appreciated that again, they don't go and have this diatribe where he explains to his, you know non-asian friends oh this is what we do when we when when one of our elders passed we yeah. like the incense yeah. sticks and it shows great honor to our elders <laughs> oh where did this oh, voice come from oh i don't know it, it it got super racist it just got super racist <laughs> <laughs> i'm from there so it's okay <laughs> you know <laughs> but it's stuff like that right like um yeah and and time and time again we see it throughout this book where it's this understanding that he's a green lantern and he's an asian person but we don't have to shove all that stuff in your face because he's a person just like anybody else who's just living his life (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. and and you know back to that idea that i was mentioning earlier like if i i imagine that uh, if there's a non-Asian person who, who's invited to a funeral of a, a traditional Asian funeral or a traditional, traditional Asian wedding or whatever, there's just certain things that are going to happen sometimes where you're not necessarily going to understand entirely what's going on. And there's not going to always be someone there to explain it to you. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the most realistic thing of all. Is is if you put yourself in those shoes as a bystander, like the thing that makes the most sense is you just kind of are there to observe, and you don't necessarily need to have it spoon-fed to you. Yeah, exactly.
2: You can just kind of pay attention to your surroundings, and there's still exactly. a way to there's still a way to be respectful, even though you don't know understand or fully it. understand everything. Yeah.
0: Yeah, right. I I feel like that's absolutely true. And
2: usually, like the easiest way to be respectful in a situation like that is to just shut up.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> don't don't get in the way of whatever is going on. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. if anything, you should probably stand to the side and let whatever is going to happen happen. Mm-hmm. If if they want you to do something, they'll tell you. Mm-hmm. Right. And I I think that's. I do think that that's a quality that more people should have uh you know when observing their reading is just if you could just put yourself in that mindset where okay, I don't know what this is, but I don't need to have it explained to me and i think I think if you if people took that with them, they'd just be better off is is sit and listen and you don't necessarily have to feel like you have to interfere in order to understand, right? Like, yeah, learn to be observational. <laughs> Agreed. Yeah. One
2: of the other things I appreciated about legacy is that even though it's a coming of age story, it's not really a story about Ty trying to fit in or figure out his identity as an Asian American. Like, He's a kid who just grew up in a city where he's got, you know, he lives in a seemingly pretty diverse city as it is and has a bunch of friends and other people that he hangs out with at school and stuff. So he, there's never, it never becomes a story where he's trying to figure out how he fits in as a minority or anything like that. It's mainly a story about him learning about his grandma and how she was a Green Lantern, and he's now he is learning how to be a Green Lantern as well, or at least he starts his training to be a Green Lantern. So, like, yeah. I think I appreciated that, because the story of, you know, trying to fit in when you're already trying to introduce this whole Green Lantern stuff, like, it's it it seems like it is a wiser choice just to focus on one of those two things
0: yeah, yeah. Because it's not well, like I'm against... It's cliche at this point. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. And I'm not against stories about Asian-American identity. I think when they're done well, they're pretty evocative to me, and they resonate. But it, it's also a superhero comic, and if you're trying to do an origin story, it just feels like you're trying to do a lot if you try to do both kinds of... if you try to include both... Uh, arcs, you know
1: right, right
2: so i'm yeah, I'm pretty much I'm pretty okay with how they went about just treating his culture and his family stuff as like it's just integrated into the green Lantern story, like yeah. the main plot, you know, like all the stuff about about uh this rich guy, Xander Griffin, trying to buy out the the market and like it just feels like one of those things where they're trying to like rich people are trying to gentrify the neighborhood or build build like something else there and and buy out all these other businesses that are that are in the town like that's kind of like the the unspoken bogeyman uh in the background but uh like all this xander griffin stuff it's like not really a story about like a white guy trying to encroach upon the Asian people, but it's, it's more just a story about this powerful rich guy who couldn't get what he wanted and ended up trying to, uh, well, what he really wanted was the power ring, and he ends up joining Sinestro and getting a yellow ring instead. And that's where they're, Conflict is. It's not really like some kind of weird racial thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess if someone really wanted to focus on that and, you know, they wanted to be aggrieved, I suppose that they could. But in this day and age, really, anyone can find anything to be aggrieved about. (laughs) True. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. But yeah, I thought it was kind of clever how this story takes on the idea of legacy and like you said it finds a way to integrate that his his own personal family's legacy with the legacy of a green lantern and they mingle those two elements into this fusion of a more cohesive story that is just easier to tell that makes a whole lot more sense yeah. you know um and it feels organic cuz it's him working out the idea of legacy of, of, you know, being his grandmother's grandson, but also living up to the legacy of a Green Lantern. Um, Especially again, not to like keep going back to this, but especially if this is something that's going to be introduced to potentially non-Asian audiences uh, as something that Oh, you can read to give you a better idea of uh, what the Asian mindset is. It, it it mixes it in there with the guise of this Green Lantern legacy story, so that someone can who might not be able to put themselves in the shoes of an Asian person can at least put themselves in the mindset of someone living up to the legacy of a Green Lantern, and maybe that's the backdoor for them into understanding this story (laughs) yeah i agree man
2: as as silly as that can sound i i do think that is part of the point you know where yeah it's like universal even though it's a specific story like there is a sense that anybody should be able to understand the idea of trying to live up to a grandmother's conception of What heroism is right like everybody's got like some kind of family or older figure that they can look up to and it's just a story about trying to live up to that person's ideals you know whether or not it's specifically your grandmother or it could be just like an older sibling or a parent or even i don't know like a teacher or or whoever it may be you know it's just the idea of whoever you look up to whoever exactly. it may be exactly it's just the idea of trying to live up to those aspirations and having yeah. um i guess the will and the determination to try and be better than who you were yesterday and
0: courage would you say courage Mm-hmm. yeah yeah because green lanterns that's right. <laughs> <laughs> you said will. I was just waiting for you to say courage. <laughs> Isn't the whole courage thing something that Jeff Johns came up with? I think so. It was originally, yeah, because Green Lantern going way back was willpower, but because he needed his, you know, spectrum of the uh, emotional spectrum, right? Sense. Yeah. Because he needed the emotional spectrum to make sense. He. Put something in there with courage or whatever is
1: willpower an emotion?
0: I don't know, I don't think so. Isn't it just like a reflex or a or state of uh, mind? yeah, right well, i mean one of the one of the green lanterns was death. That's not really an emotion <laughs> <laughs> The black lanterns, yeah
2: <laughs> well. Maybe they just felt sad all the time, like goths or something.
0: Yeah. It, that would have been a heck of a way to go with that story of uh, the the final boss was just, you know, really emo goths. <laughs> yeah. It's like <laughs> Robert Smith from The Cure or somebody. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, you're saying that our final boss is Robert Smith from The Cure? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I do like what you said earlier too about how Ty and his friends there. There really isn't this fish out of this sense that they're trying to do a fish out of water story because really, if if you're trying to capture the you know Asian American experience, I think that's the 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 experience that's most common. Is you know for those of us who are like first generation or whatever, like for the most part, we're pretty acclimated. And it's just a Mm -hmm. matter of having these relationships and developing this fusion of what our lives are like, right? So, like, it makes sense that his relationship with his friends is, it's not contentious. The relationship with the kids at his school, like, they don't necessarily, they're not the stereotypical racist bullies. They're just regular bullies, man. Yeah, yeah. They're not racist bullies. They're just bullies. Yeah. I mean, as weird as that is to, like, talk about, <laughs> it's like, how progressive are we <laughs> in this day and age where our bullies aren't racist, but they're just jerks because they're jerks. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they're not mean to you because you're different. <laughs> they're just mean to you just because they're mean. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I can respect that. <laughs> I mean, as as much as I can respect that, I can yeah. respect that. <laughs> uh, yeah. And clarify for me, this was this was in their kids. Uh, yeah, this is DC Kids, right? Yeah, graphic novels so, for kids. Yeah. So I will say that, even though it's labeled as a DC graphic novel for kids. I don't think that the plotting of it is overly simple and I don't think that their solutions to their conflicts are overly simple either. Right. I think they're handled in a way that it's just complex enough and sophisticated enough where it's not insipid. Right. Mm -hmm. So the threats are real threats, but they're not, you know, this isn't Dr. Light savagely, uh, (laughs) violating a woman, right? Right. Because right. that's that's evil. <laughs> no. <laughs> like the guy is bad and he's clearly doing uh, he's trying to buy up uh uh properties in order to gain control and you become, you know, a yellow lantern and own this territory, on own the city so that he can have power, right? Mm-hmm. And that in and of itself is bad because it's selfish. And there might be people who you think that that's just kid stuff because, yeah, a real villain has to be, you know, they gotta be badass. They gotta be scary and, you know, we we need them to be like spawn villains or something like that. <laughs> they need <laughs> to rip people <laughs> in half. Yeah. They need to be like Venom or something stupid. <laughs> like, it, I don't know. it It's that whole attitude of, this isn't a good comic because it's for kids because all the bad guys aren't real bad guys right even though they're clearly doing bad stuff yeah it's i i do think that this comic does a good job of making the villains clearly bad but without again making it insipid or childish yeah, they're not right cartoonish
2: scooby doo villains exactly 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 Alexander- Xander, uh, what is it, Griffith or Griffin? Griffin. Yeah, Xander Griffin has at least a little more complexity than just being a Scooby-Doo villain. And I do think that the stuff in Legacy and Alliance is no more childish than a lot of the mainstream big two superhero comics that we see on the racks. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, I would even say that some of that stuff is more childish than this.
0: Oh, I'd definitely say a lot of that stuff is more yeah. childish than
3: this. <laughs>
0: right.
2: So, so, and not childish in the sense that it's for kids. Just, I guess I just mean immature, you know? Like, yeah, yeah. Emotionally immature. Cause at least these comics have. There's depth, but, to, but, them yeah, there's depth to them. Yeah, there's a depth to
0: their emotional maturity. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Right. Especially if you look at it as a story that is about. If you look at it as a story that's really about showing people having real emotions and behaving as they would in the real world, I think that's a lot more mature than, you know, Batman going, Millions die
1: if I am weak!
3: (laughs) You know, I mean, like... (laughs)
0: uh the 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 impulse to replicate that a hundred thousand times over that 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 sense of drama um there is something that isn't very mature about that right exactly <laughs> uh and and sometimes the most mature thing that you can have in a story is someone who knows how to actively communicate about their wants and needs and the things that they're going through. Mm-hmm. Right? And I think that the
2: main thing that makes this a kid's comic compared to a lot of the big two stuff on the racks is that this comic just doesn't have any swearing or blood and guts, you know? Like that's, Yeah. Like, if, if they made the kids talk like actual teenagers where they cuss a lot, you know, then it wouldn't be a kid's comic anymore. Or if, if there was... If the action were more violent, you know, then, okay, then it wouldn't really be fully appropriate for kids. But the way it is, like, there's still enough action and violence to make it feel like there are the stakes are real. and yeah, dangers. Yeah, there are stakes, exactly. Yeah, but it's not so heavy that it would be scary or otherwise inappropriate. It's not melodramatic. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right?
0: mm-hmm. Yeah, and... um Oh man, I had a thought, but I forgot. But
2: you were saying it's not yeah, melodramatic.
0: It's not melodramatic. And oh, that's the thing. I I think for the longest time it really felt like when we tell kids stories or stories for kids, we we have it set in our minds that what that is is it's code for a really sanitized really simplified story right I think that's what we've come to define kids stories to mean right whenever we see that label of kids on anything the instantaneous reaction is I'm grown I'm not this isn't for me but I think in recent years I've I've consumed quite a bit of uh, you know media and shows where I've seen that you can tell stories that are for kids and adults Mm -hmm. and you can tell stories for kids that can also be for adults that don't have to be so simple and so saccharine that it loses all meaning because the only thing that the only purpose for that story is to deliver uh, these really basic morality tales that are like, don't steal uh you know don't uh learn to share or or whatever, right? Like things like that. Just these Wait, really simple don't learn tales. to share. No, I, I was trying to say something else, but I transitioned to learn to share, right? Oh okay, okay. Yeah. But I think that's the problem is like a lot of the times when we look at kids' stories, that's what we're thinking is we want we're expecting these really simple morality tales because we're teaching kids to be we're trying to spoon feed kids with the simplest way possible imaginable to get them to learn, you know, how to be decent human beings. But the thing that people don't realize is there are kid friendly stories that you can tell that you can appreciate as an adult. And I think this is uh, that Green Lantern legacy and Green Lantern Alliance is one of those stories where Mm -hmm. they have, they've been able to, straddle those two worlds so it's it's definitely something that if there's someone out there who whose idea of mature or adult is you know it has to have boobs if if their <laughs> definition of mature and adult is as reductive as it has to have sex and violence then that person is incredibly immature and it yeah. lacks <laughs> the understanding for this sort of thing, right? Like Agreed. you're someone who needs this more than anything because you need to learn that there are stories that are complex enough. I, it feels like a lot of the times people don't give their kids a lot of credit. And maybe sometimes that's warranted because kids are dumb. But <laughs> I, I also think that if you you know, if you treat your kids with with kid gloves, then, you know, you get what you put in, right? So i I'd like to believe that if you give them things that are a little more emotionally mature, that they can identify and learn from, then they'll probably be better consumers of... Media and entertainment because you're not just giving them, you know, Caillou or something like that. <laughs> I know when I was a kid,
2: I didn't like stories that talked down to me.
0: Yeah, but that's that feels like that's so much of what kids' quote unquote kids' stories are is stuff that talks down to you. And maybe that's why kids, at a certain point, very early on, They look at stuff and they go, oh, man, that's kid stuff, right? Because even at a young age, they realize what's kind of stupid and what's kind of condescending, really.
2: Yeah. It's like when we were kids, there were Marvel Comics and DC Comics for kids Uh starring, you know, usually the same famous superheroes, but those were the comics that we didn't want you know like we just wanted the regular x-men we didn't want x-men adventures or spider-man adventures you wanted spider-man right right or amazing spider-man like the give us the real stuff man not the stuff that that's for kids right but then with this line of graphic novels yeah even though they're branded for kids i do think that the quality of the stories is much different than the kinds of kids comics that we had when we were kids.
0: Yeah. Yeah. This isn't, you know, not that I have a problem with it, but you know, this isn't some sort of Sesame street clone or something like that. And heck, I'd even say something like the Muppets, even though that was for kids, those shows had a lot of heart to it too. You know, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like if, if people think back to it, you you come to realize that those were sketches and bits that contained a lot more information than we realize. Yeah. Yeah. It's the kind of humor that
2: can make kids laugh, but as an adult, when you watch some of it, you're kind of surprised at what they were able to get away with for something that's ostensibly aimed at a younger audience.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Right. It it has a double meaning for for the audience whoever you are and wherever you might be coming at it from
3: Mm -hmm.
0: yeah so very much of uh, green lantern legacy is essentially an origin story where you're watching little ty here as he in uh, as he grabs the ring and he learns about his grandmother's legacy and he learns to use that ring and that power and you get to observe him as he learns to train with it as he you know as he uh meets this Griffin Xander Griffin Xander mm-hmm. Griffin character and a lot of the story is about him looking up to this Xander Griffin who seems like he's his grandma's like first ward or something like this he was he was someone who wanted to follow in his grandma's footsteps and he even wanted to be a green lantern but what we eventually find out is he ends up taking a different path and it's a story about Ty when given this great power it's him dealing with the temptation because he begins to have these dreams about yellow lanterns and about the fact that now that he has this real power he can really use it and do the things that he really wants with it, right, to mm-hmm. to make things right. Because he has the might to do it. And that's, that's the central conflict of this first volume, is him choosing what he's going to do with his power now that he has
1: it. Yeah, and it's a good theme. It makes sense. And I think the battle he
2: has at the end with uh Xander. Like there's a moment there when like towards the end of the fight when when Ty uh finally realizes that well, I'll just read the the excerpt because I think it kinda sums up the ethos of the story. But he he's staring at Xander uh at the climax of their battle and Ty says, I just realized all this time I've been so worried about having this legacy to protect. I couldn't see that I also have this legacy to protect me, to make me stronger. And, you know, that's when he creates uh, a Green Lantern. He uses his ring to create an army of other Green Lantern constructs. And they all just pound on Xander uh, before Xander's ring runs out of energy and he has to run away. But it's interesting to consider the story in light of that page, because, like, yeah, like so much of the tale is about the idea of legacy and how Ty is trying to live up to his grandmother's legacy—not just, uh, you know, in their home and their store, but also her legacy as a Green Lantern. But then he realizes that. He doesn't have to put all that on his own shoulders it's like the idea of legacy and family like those are things that are part of his strength you know right, like right. there's like an inspirational quality to all of that where he's not he doesn't have to like burden himself with the idea of protecting his grandmother's legacy or building a monument which is a contrast to Xander because Xander is the one who's trying to like buy up all this property. And like you were saying earlier, you know, it's all about the power for him. Like that's how he finds his power. But, uh, Ty, he realizes that his power isn't in like trying to control things or protect things that, that he constructed, but it's the idea of, of like the things that are already set in place before him the people who came before him they're the ones who make him strong
1: right right
2: and it's a good lesson man like you can yeah you know like we were talking about how like a lot of kids comics have like these really moralizing lessons and i guess in a way like this is kind of the lesson of the comic but it's not done in a way where they straight up look at the reader and tell you hey guys the moral of the story is this and <laughs> Knowing is half the battle. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> right, right. Yeah. But the other thing is, you know, going back to that idea of, okay, this is a kid's, you know, kid friendly comic, and therefore the threat would be, you know, uh, a guy who's a cartoon villain whose whole thing is, I'm going to try to steal this thing, and that's what makes me evil, right? And that's, that's, pretty much the extent of the conflict and here the conflict is it's still just as important for character building but it's not limited to this is good and this is bad it's it's it feels like the moral like you said is that he finds strength in his culture uh finds strength in his Mm -hmm. legacy and he is empowered by it because he has this legacy that his long proud tradition of what it means to do right, and he follows in that example. And you know, it's it's not it's an important lesson to learn, and it's not a childish lesson to 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 try to teach your kids, right? And, and it's not done in a way that's so simple and so stupid that you you end up dismissing it outright because. I know this already and I'm, I'm a grown man, so I don't need this. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Uh, Essentially. The lesson here is heritage, not hate. Right, Drew? (laughs) Wow. (laughs) What? What'd I say?
3: <laughs> First,
2: you had to drop that thing earlier about the woke mind virus in Green Lantern Rebirth.
3: <laughs> and now you're telling me that this Green Lantern
2: comic is about heritage,
3: not hate. <laughs> Oh, man, that's comical. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh
2: you have anything more to say about Green Lantern Legacy or do you want to talk about Alliance now? Let's go into Alliance. All right. So yeah. what were your general thoughts on Alliance, man? As a sequel or as its own thing? Like what do you think?
0: I guess I'd have to approach it as a sequel. I mean, I didn't really know where they were gonna go from there. Uh, by the end of the by the end of Legacy, he finds the strength to defeat Xander Griffin. But Griffin, Griffith, Griffin. Let me take a look. Griffin, right? Yeah. But at the same time, he doesn't. It's not like he. He doesn't do a Sylvester Stallone or Arnold Schwarzenegger thing where he's like, "I'm gonna put you in the ground for good," and that's the end of him, right? <laughs> their their conflict is, is still alive and well. But again, it doesn't oversimplify the solution to the point where what if you kill the guy you're done with it why don't you just kill him so we very much see him again in alliance and it's very much a thing where they coexist with each other
1: but it's almost like
0: they they have this tenuous not alliance but tenuous coexistence with one another right Like. I, I I do think that much of this book deals with, okay, first of all, the the, culp, uh, the, the problem that they're dealing with in, in this book is there's an arsonist going around, burning down schools, or not burning down schools, but burning down buildings various buildings in the yeah. city. And they're trying to figure out who this arsonist is. And then at the same time, Green Lantern is going out there and he, he's got, Ty has more of a sense of who he is and what he is at this point because, yeah, as we've seen in the first book, he he's decided he was tempted with the idea of using fear as the tool to you know make the world right or using you know his his legacy and as we said earlier, he ends up choosing the legacy of doing good and right as as the thing that will be his guiding light, mm-hmm. but for but at the same time Xander still very much exists in the world and they have to coexist with one another and they they drive that point home a lot because his teacher john stewart is there and he he's just telling him that yeah man like it's not our way to like just go you know we're not going to be proactive about this we're not going to go and get this guy just because we don't like him you know he has to you know we got to wait for him to break the laws first we we are a peoples of law and order, and we need to abide by that. So you don't think they should
2: have just like gone to Xander when he was sleeping and broken his neck?
0: <laughs> I'm sure there's someone out there who's like, that would have been the adult thing to do. That's how you know. That's a grown, grown-ass <laughs> response because... <laughs> we don't adhere we don't do what the laws tell us to do we'll just go there and handle our own business because that's what a man does (laughs) Uh, yeah but i didn't really know where they were going to go with it and i do think that this book is it, it carries on with that idea of Yeah, it, it carries on with that idea of this being a story that is for kids and adults, even though it's not something that is, you know, full of gratuitous violence or sex or anything like that. It's it's sophisticated enough where adults can enjoy this too. So I I do think that reading this, I was there was a chance that after reading Legacy, that you know Min Min Lay and Andy Tong could have been one hit. Maybe like that was their one shot, and they, uh, you know, they got lucky, right? But after reading this, I'm like, okay, they they have an idea, they have a sense of what they're trying to do, and they are consistent about it. So mm-hmm. I I definitely respect them as writers, and uh, I think they're very capable. And I think Alliance was just as as much of a showing for them as Legacy, and just proves uh, what they're Talents are.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think as far as the overall quality of the story goes, in some ways it probably engaged me a little bit more because it wasn't an origin story. Like we already got the origin out of the way, and now we can just like get to the fun stuff, you know? Right. I I feel like sometimes I can feel that way about origin stories, just because I guess we've consumed a ton of origin stories over the decades. So sometimes I just want to get to the meat. Mm. But we I feel like this one really did expand the, the universe of this world. Like, we see a lot of other superheroes in the story. We have a, a flashback with his grandma as Green Lantern, teaming up with Superman. We have some of the other Green Lanterns, like Kilowog, make an appearance. We have uh. Chip. <laughs> yeah, we have Chip.
3: Yeah. We have
2: uh uh Wally West the Flash. As the Flash. Yeah. Yeah. And and of course I think his daughter Chip was Iris, Flash. right? Yeah. Yeah. Or not Iris. Was it? Well her her name is Iris after after uh you know Iris Allen, but in the in her when she gives her origin story or when she tells her backstory to Ty,
1: she says that Uh, her dad is wally west and her mom is linda park right right i mean that's the
0: other thing about this that i thought was kind of interesting too is it's this is clearly a fusion of like their universe with bits and pieces from the you know from the existing lore that we're accustomed to but I didn't really feel like I was in a position to look at this and be like, which universe are they? Are they in the real universe? Or the real universe? In... <laughs> <laughs> what <is Yeah>. that? <laughs> you know, because we see the Flash and we see Superman, so it's not, is it the quote-unquote real universe? Or, like, is this a real story? <laughs> but... So, well, they're so not. You're none that... of them are real stories. <laughs>
3: That's hilarious. But,
0: but I was able to read this and yeah, like it, it's like I was saying earlier. Like I just kind of ignored all that stuff and just took it as its own thing without trying to reconcile the existing DC lore with what I was reading. Right. I I was fine not trying to make heads or tail of which version of wally west is this which version of iris uh, of of uh superman is this or whatever i I just kind of just took it at face value and just appreciated it and i personally think that's the best way to enjoy it
2: No, no no no. albert albert this definitely takes place in the real universe you know (laughs) why because early on there's a reference to robotech and Mech Cadet U,
3: <laughs> and those are those are those uh, are real. That
1: are exist in the real world.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I did yeah. think it
2: was funny how in the beginning when they were having when Kilowog and John were having him go through that training session, he creates a construct, and it looks. When I first saw it, I was like, man, the way that Andy Tong drew that mech, it looks very similar to a Valkyrie from Macross or a Veritech from Robotech. Other than the head, like the overall body shape of it was pretty similar. But then uh, once Kilowog made that Robotech comment, I was like, oh, okay. I, I see what they're doing. And then they had to name drop, name drop U. So it was like a little fun shout out to the Greg Pack, Greg Pack and uh, who is it? Takeshi Miyazawa i do want to read that comic that one is something i have on hold at the library so i'm gonna check it out at some point
0: could be the best uh greg pack story man
2: probably man miyazawa is a great artist so at least i like looking at it
0: yeah for sure for sure um in terms of scenes there's it does more of what we were saying earlier where there are just little things that they put in here that they don't really make a big deal of. And, and it's still clear that, Oh yeah. You know, she's there of a certain culture and I don't really need to think of it that much beyond that. Right. So there's a scene where the flash, the old, you know, Wally West flash and her and uh, Ty's grandma have just gone on an adventure. And then they go to this dessert this vietnamese dessert uh place to get uh this i don't really know what it's called but if you've ever been to a vietnamese restaurant you've definitely seen it before mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and they're just talking about the food and the snacks and it's i thought that was a great little scene without having to again get too much into the weeds about what actually is this what are the what's it made out of or blah blah yeah. blah it's just <laughs> it's just a matter of it's a delicious snack that's all you need to know man
2: Exactly, exactly. And it's a, a fun little <laughs> scene that humanizes the Flash, but also Ty's grandmother. Yeah, I felt like in the first volume, she dies so quickly that we don't really get a chance to know her too well. And she's yeah, more of a, sure. an idea that kind of hovers over everything that he does, a phantom. But at least in this one, because we get these little flashback scenes, even though they're they're brief, I felt like they added a bit to, at least my conception of her character, and you I'd know, agree. made her feel,
1: yeah, like
3: more fleshed of a, out.
1: yeah, flushed her out, definitely.
3: Yeah.
0: Yeah, I I totally agree with that. It's it's a good little scene. Um, you know, in terms of the other things that are going on in the book, like, I feel like. The second volume is traditionally the part where, oh, um, you know, it's at this point in the story where Ty, as the character, becomes too big for his britches because he's a superhero and he begins to leave his friends behind. I feel like that's something that they were sort of alluding to in this because that's almost the, it's kind of the tropey way to tell these kind of exactly assuming it's like a trilogy
2: that's what you would expect right
0: yeah yeah you have to have the moment where things fall apart for them and their friendship breaks down and they have to find a way to be friends again under these new circumstances or whatever right and i think they were teasing that as a potential idea to what they were going to do but I like the fact that they didn't go that way. It, it, it's like you said, it's very much the tropey thing that they could have done because that's kind of what you would expect. And instead they're friends the whole time and mm-hmm. they, they just find a way to work it out. Uh, you know, they're I don't think, I don't think they even really have a thing where they really get mad at each other because it's all part of the plan and then right. Yeah. So what ends up happening is like, Their friendship is so strong, they were able to get around that. It was never an issue to begin with, essentially. Exactly.
2: Yeah. makes it refreshing just to have a story where you don't have these forced uh, breakups or whatever you want to call them, these forced conflicts between a group of friends. Yeah, in some ways, it even makes them feel more mature for their age.
0: Yeah, yeah cuz in this one we we mentioned that they introduce this version of Iris West Kid Flash right and you could see that it almost feels like there's this rift very early on because oh now he's got new superpowered friends uh what's going to happen to us his normal non-superpowered friends right we were yeah uh, there's very much a chance for this to become a story where we you know, we become resentful of you because you have powers, or you become egotistical because you have powers, but then we find a way to reconcile it in the end because you know that's the power of friendship or whatever, <laughs> right but but uh yeah if if anything, what ends up happening is all four of them become friends and and it's like you said, it's refreshing and it's an almost more mature way for these relationships to play themselves out. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be a thing where, you know, they go storming off because they're mad at each other or whatever, and they will never be friends again, yep. <laughs> whatever. Right. It's uh, yeah. I, I thought that was a nice touch to it.
2: Yeah. I enjoyed it. And as a story, Titled Alliance. I guess the right. obvious alliance is the alliance he makes with Kid Flash, but really it feels like it's all the people that he has in his life who support him, you know? Mm, right. Tommy right. and Serena, his friends, and then Jon Stewart and even Chip. Like, yeah, everybody comes together. Like, there's a strong sense of
1: family in this story. I feel yeah. like that's probably intentional.
0: It'd be funny if it was an accident. <laughs> if we interviewed Andy Tong and Min Lay and they were like, Man, we didn't think of that at all. That's a really good catch. We should write comics. <laughs> uh yeah, I mean by the end of it, like I guess I guess that's the big reveal by the end of it it, because it really feels like everyone uh at one point kind of builds up to this this fracture uh that happens between them right Mm -hmm. because even john stewart at one point is is kind of part of the act because he he shows up and he you know he does what the, the the mentor does and he says Hey, I can't really trust you because you're you're brash or whatever and uh you know, I'm here to stop you from stealing Xander's uh power battery because you know, I gave you an order and that's what I expect you to do. But the revelation is when was in Ty was given the opportunity, exactly, when Ty was given the opportunity to hide the the plan from John or to tell him, he tells him the truth and they and end up all working together to pull off the plan you yeah know? and and again this is another thing where someone might look at this where the the thread of the book is an arson an arsonist and their solution once they find out that it's xander griffin is oh we're going to steal his power battery so he doesn't have his powers anymore and we're going to develop this elaborate like heist, essentially, to to steal this battery. I'm sure there's an underdeveloped reader somewhere out there who goes, why didn't they just punch through his head? (laughs) You know? Why didn't they just gut him? (laughs) Why didn't Kid Flash just vibrate her hand into his chest cavity and remove (laughs) his heart? Yeah, yeah. But they just stole his battery and found a nonviolent way to resolve the situation. That's lame. (laughs) Right. But I don't know, man. I'm just, I live in a world where there are way too many people who think they are shit kickers and their entire uh, uh, way of dealing with things is, man, if I ever had a, a, if I was in that situation, you can almost guarantee that I would shoot someone or blah, blah, blah. And like, that's literally the thing that they think is the solution to these problems. Yeah. You know? And like I, I think it's healthier to that these kids found a way not to kill someone. And if anything, by the time you get to the end of the story, like I know they're still at odds with Xander Griffin by the end of it all. But it does feel like they're teasing the potential that somewhere deep down inside Xander is. There, there was always something about him. There was something in him that believed in Ty's grandmother, uh, mm-hmm. and and her mission, right? And maybe he was, you know, tempted by the way of Sinestro or whatever. And he was impatient, and his solution was, I, I didn't have the will and the patience to not be a Green Lantern. I wanted the power so badly that when I was given the opportunity to get these powers, even if it meant essentially selling my soul to an evil force, I was willing to do it. But it's almost, by the end of this story, it, it's it's almost like you get to see that there is some part of him there, even, even if he is working for the Sinestro Corps, there's still some part of him there that might still be salvageable, you know? So you, you think in Volume 3 we'll have a Xander
2: redemption arc?
0: I think so. I th- I think, yeah, if I had to guess, I'd say that that's where they're going with it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Was that just a me thing? Did you not get that sense?
2: I could see that. I don't know if I was thinking that as I, after I finished reading it. Because I I think you're right. Like in the throughout the book, like when we especially when we see those flashbacks and we learn about how Xander and John Stewart were friends, like there's definitely that uh potential there for him to like.
0: He's not nearly as bad as we think he yeah, is. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Exactly. Exactly.
2: Yeah. And as like he's definitely done some bad stuff with you know all these fires because if. Kai and kid flash hadn't saved those people then he would have you know become like a mass murderer <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs>
2: but as far as we can tell he he's probably not as bad as sinestro because sinestro would probably just you know lay waste to the planet or something directly where Alexander exactly. is trying to be clever about it.
0: He's trying to use the power that he does have to take control through coercion and through the means that are available. He'll use the ring, you know, to do what he needs to do. Yeah. But like you said, Sinestro very very easily would really not care too much about that at all and would be perfectly content with just raising the planet. Exactly. And
2: yeah, of course we get Sinestro uh, at the very end of the book where he's talking to some of his other yellow lanterns. So you so you know, you, it sets things up for a volume three. Hopefully uh, they'll have the opportunity to make that happen. I'm not sure if anything officially has been announced, but the other thing that got me more intrigued was our boy Kyle showing up at the end.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, it's, not something that I was expecting, but when they put him in there, I was like, oh, nice.
2: <laughs> yeah, and he's wearing his
0: 90s outfit, man. <laughs> the yeah, classic. with the crab, crab, crab mask or whatever. <laughs> yeah, the crab mask. And the, uh, what are those called? The gauntlets?
2: Yep. Yeah. We've had two of these books so far, and we have Jon Stewart, we've had Kilowog, we've had Chip, Kyle Rayner, and we still haven't had Hal Jordan. Kind of refreshing, <laughs> man. I respect yeah. it. I
0: respect it. Yeah, it's a choice, and it's a good choice. I'm not mm-hmm. a I'm not a Hal Jordan stan at all. So there we go. <laughs> Are you a Hal Jordan hater? Uh, I think it depends on who you put me in front of, but uh, I think given the opportunity to to set someone off, the right person off, I'd I'd very gladly take on the mantle of a Hal Jordan hater. <laughs> so it's it's yeah. not anything about hal himself as a character it's purely about spiting a certain type of fan that's generally like the primary thing that drives me if there was <laughs> if there was a ring on the spectrum that is powered by spite i would be like totally op on that you would be the spite <laughs> lantern <laughs> yeah exactly yeah <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah overall i'd say that uh i don't you know what i i was gonna say that this was the only kids uh dc comic that i've read these two but that's not true i've actually bought quite a few um in in the recent months and uh yeah i i enjoyed this and some of the other ones but you know if this is your first introduction to the the d c kids line i I'd say it's it's a good introduction, and it's something that i cannot emphasize enough but if 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 you're an adult and you're curious about it, I think you can read it and it's something that you can enjoy and take seriously, even though it's titled a kid's d c comic yeah, definitely. If you
2: just like superhero comics in general, or teen superheroes, like this is definitely a great one to pick up. Yeah. Oh, Did one more thing, new... I wanted to yeah. shout out the coloring in volume t- in Alliance on page uh, like pages seventy nine to to like eighty one or eighty two. Like, there's a scene here, or se- th- it starts on page seventy eight actually, but it's a scene where. Where Ty uses his ring to generate a construct of the blueprint of the building that they planned that the kids plan to infiltrate for their heist. Yeah. And I I just thought that the way that these pages were colored where the effect of the ring um has these different gradients at the edges. And it almost looks like it's like they're in walking in this digitized world. It's pretty interesting. And I, I like it as an effect for uh the green lantern rings for the power rings uh power signature you know like it's a good effect to show
1: what it kind of looks like on the page Mm. yeah yeah overall the art's pretty pretty
2: solid like all the lighting effects and and the the colors for the constructs and explosions and stuff definitely on point and, yeah, I, I do like Andy Tong's art. It's just some solid superhero stuff. And it'd be cool if he got more work after this. Like, I really hope that they do another volume of the Typham books. But even if, even after they're done doing their Green Lantern stuff, I, w- I would hope that we could see his art in, in other superhero comics because he's a good superhero comic artist.
0: Yeah, I'd happen to agree. Like it's it's a fun look to it, and I think there are a lot of people. He's definitely better than a lot of people, and it's just. Yeah. I think it's. It's unfortunate that. Well, no, I I think it's great that he gets to do this book, right? And I, I'd much prefer prefer that he gets to do this than nothing, right? But I I certainly think his artwork is better than a lot of people and yeah i i just feel like
2: yeah i mean i could easily see this dude drawing something like spider-man or superman or x-men or whatever
0: exactly exactly i'd say that his art style kind of reminds me of like a dan morrow or something like that yeah you know i could see that yeah and i think they're Yeah, the thing that I think is unfortunate is that there are a lot of books with substantially worse artists that he could be working on, but, you know, he doesn't get that chance. And, you know, well, I'll just say it, but the first thing that came to mind to me was something like Shang-Chi by Gene Yang. And I like Gene Yang, but I would way rather have this art than who they got to do that comic. Yeah,
2: I forgot... The name of the artist of that comic, but I remember not being impressed with it visually.
0: I'm looking at it uh We I, I think, think we talked about it Dyke when we Ron. did a Yeah, that's it. Yeah. like Ron and the co artist for the issues that he couldn't do is our Philip Tan, and I don't think he's particularly good either. Yeah, I've never been a Philip Tan yeah. fan at all. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I remember we did talk about that comic when we were talking about Shang-Chi a couple years ago, but yeah, the art was definitely not something I was fond of.
0: Yeah. There's also this other scene that I I wanted to make mention of. I was just looking it over and it was something that I didn't notice when I was first looking when I first read this book, but looking at it now and it's such a little thing, such a minor detail, but at the same time, I, I love that they included it. In Green Lantern Legacy on page ninety-six, there's a scene where he goes out where Ty goes out and he's having a like a heart-to-heart discussion with Xander, right? And they're walking on the street. And if you look at him in that scene, he's wearing Green Lantern generated flip-flops as he walks. <laughs> And I was just like, oh, that's a pretty funny detail, you know, but that that just goes back to what I was saying earlier. Like, it's just these such minor details where as in, you know, I guess anyone can notice them. But as an Asian person, it's like, oh, yeah, it makes sense. He could have very easily made kicks for himself or like Jordans or something. But, yeah, it makes sense that he would just make these little flip flops that he can walk around the street in with his <laughs> lantern powers, you know. Yeah, and that totally. says something to the subconscious mind of an Asian, where it's like, oh yeah,
3: uh, yep. I see you.
0: I see you. <laughs> 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 uh,
1: That's a good point, man. Yeah, I didn't yeah. catch that. Yeah, overall right.
2: the art is just great, man. It's like he knows how to draw kids, and he's got that youthful sense of like his characters have that youthful youthful sense of exuberance that kind of permeates the scenes like i guess it's a mix of youthful exuberance as well as like
1: i don't know what i was gonna say like sort of that smug teen i know it all
2: kind of feeling i don't know how to describe it but i think just looking at the way that he draws his kids in the story it does feel like they are kids. Like I look at specifically a page in Alliance on page 52 and that big upper panel with the four kids walking on the sidewalk, the different expressions and the way that they're posed.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I I was looking at that earlier. I like that scene too.
2: Yeah. It's just a good drawing of four teenage kids walking together and having a conversation. Like it's like, their body language, their posture, the way that they wear their clothes and their facial expressions, it kind of like says everything about them in one picture. Like you don't even have to have the words, you don't have to know anything about the story. You just look at that picture and you can already kind of guess what their personalities are like.
0: Yeah, yeah. Other image that I was looking at that I enjoyed from alliances on page. I think it's 42. Mm-hmm. Um 41, 42, oh, 44, actually. And it's just this one page uh, splash of Greenland, of uh, Ty's grandma and the Flash. And, mm. you know, if you're looking at that, if, if, if you're reading this comic and you want to know if he's capable of doing superhero action stuff, like that right there is, you know, the money shot for superhero action stuff. Yeah, just watching a great the splash. Flash do a run it's it's dynamic man it is man i like it
1: yeah yeah so much to enjoy in this comic in both of these books you have any final thoughts albert
0: i don't i guess we can talk about any books that you'd recommend uh you know for someone who wants to read this and wants to read some more uh similar books
2: yeah i have a few recommendations and they come uh in different i guess categories but i think for anyone who's merely interested in reading another dc kids graphic novel one of the other ones i've read and really liked in this line is lois lane and the friendship challenge by grace ellis mm-hmm. and Brittany williams yeah that one is obviously about lois lane and it's not really super heroic because she doesn't have powers and stuff but it is a story about a kid version of lois lane and her friends going on a little adventure and yeah it's it's i think i would say it has the same level of sophistication and maturity as these green lantern books like it's certainly appropriate for kids and i think kids will have fun reading it but even as an adult i think it's something where the craftsmanship of it is at a high enough level where i was engaged and truly enjoyed it
1: Mm, nice and then
2: for anyone who's interested in stories that also bring into the forefront the idea of Diversity or representation, especially uh, Asian American representation in a superhero comic. The big one, the obvious one, I would say is Superman Smashes the Clan by Jin Yang and Guri Hiru. That one was a book that came out a few years ago. Uh, highly recommended. It. It's a story that uh, is an adaptation of like this really old Superman radio serial from way back in the day when radio serials were a thing and yeah it's a story about superman fighting the clan and in in this case uh we have a couple of point of view characters who happen to be asian-american kids living in what is it i guess it's like the 50s or something but yeah that's a a great book by the creator of american-born chinese Nice, nice. And Gene Yang also wrote uh, another comic called The Shadow Hero with art by Sonny Liu. That's another mm. solid superhero <laughs> book that takes the idea of the one of the earliest uh, Asian-American superheroes in American comics. Like, I think this is a super obscure character from the Golden Age.
0: I don't remember. I might have just had like one issue or two issues or something before it got canceled, I think. <laughs>
2: yeah I think it had a small number of issues, and then the other yeah. thing is that the artist of it i think was actually a chinese american but in the comic itself in that in the golden age version of it, like they never explicitly said that the dude was Chinese, but it was kind of uh-huh. like it's like understood like if you if you read it, you know you'll probably be able to recognize it, and you know he was it was always intended to be chinese American but it just wasn't
0: You know, racism. Yeah, exactly. It was a different era. They couldn't just say, oh, this hero's Chinese. Because back
2: then, Uh, if you were yellow, you were a menace.
0: Yeah, it wouldn't sell.
2: Yeah, it wouldn't sell.
3: Yeah.
0: Yeah.
2: And then if you just want more Green Lantern comics, I think all the stuff that we mentioned earlier were things that we really liked, especially Green Lantern Earth-1 by Corinna Beko and Gabriel Hardman. There are two volumes of that. That's a a reimagining of the Green Lantern mythos starring a new version of Hal Jordan. And it doesn't take place in any kind of continuity, so you can go into volume one completely cold. The only disappointing thing about it is that they're not able to do a third volume of it for some reason. But uh, the two volumes are still worth reading in and of themselves. And then, you know, the other stuff, like... Green Lantern Will World from J M D Mateus and Seth Fisher, the Morrison and Liam Sharp, the Green Lantern series was pretty good stuff. Uh, we haven't read it yet, but Far Sector we were talking about that. Maybe we'll cover that in a future episode. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I yeah. think there are quite a few solid Green Lantern comics to look for if you. still in the mood after reading these two
0: yeah i had a hard time coming up with things that i would recommend when you initially asked me the question but i think i did think of some stuff while we were talking and you know since i've had more time to think about it but i have read a couple of other uh DC kids graphic novels and one of the ones that i just read recently was dead man tells the spooky tales it's by uh it's got a different a bunch of different writers on it but the main story or the the framing story is done by an artist by the name of franco aureliani I've, i i don't know who he is i've never seen him on anything but his artwork in it is pretty great And you've got a bunch of different uh, artists and writers that I've never seen before, um, like Sarah Richard, Andy Price, Derek Charm, Mike Hardigan, Christopher Uminga, Abigail Larson, uh, Morgan Beam, Justin Castaneda, Tresna Bowling, Thomas Boatwright, Goot McMahon, Isaac Goodhart, and Agnes Garbowski. It's a really simple premise. It's kind of a anthology of scary stories done by done in the vein of the old EC comics but instead of a crypt keeper or you know a grave digger you've got Boston Brand the dead man as the 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 keeper of the tales and each story is a different short story by one of the writers that I was talking about earlier and it, I don't think it's anything nearly as complex or as sophisticated as something like uh Green Lantern Alliance or Green Lantern Legacy but it is still a really fun comic just just for the sake of fun so I would recommend that if you want more of these uh DC kids comics that's something that I could recommend nice man yeah out of the, all the
2: artists you mentioned I think the only ones I recognized were Derek Charm and Isaac Goodhart. Those guys are pretty good.
0: Yeah. I just I... read it earlier this week. Go ahead.
2: No, I was just going to say, I remember uh, you sent me some pictures of from the book earlier this week, and I was pretty impressed by what you showed me.
0: Yeah, it's good-looking stuff. And here, Here's what I'd say. If your thing is you expect it to be... <laughs> scary or something like that that's probably not the case because it is a kid's comic but i think you can still enjoy the the charm of it even if it's not something that's you know genuinely scary or something like that but the art in and of itself is pretty solid art that you can enjoy without you know thinking oh this is just for kids or whatever
1: yeah or heck
2: maybe that's something that people can get for their kids
0: oh yeah yeah i forget that people do that you know have kids. <laughs> <laughs> i forget that that's a thing that people do <laughs> i thought you just get them at pet stores or something <laughs> uh, all right well oh yeah actually there's nothing... one more thing I, oh. I
2: just thought of because i I had just watched it earlier this week, but the Disney Plus adaptation of American Born Chinese, I liked it a lot. I would definitely recommend watching that show. It's very different from Jin Yang's comic. It's very, it takes a lot of liberties and it's eight episodes for, you know, adapting a book that isn't actually that long. But even though the story is, or the plot is quite different, I feel like it's true to the heart and soul and spirit of the graphic novel and i would definitely recommend watching american born chinese if you're interested in shows that deal with the asian american experience and what it's like to grow up uh you know like with our kind of upbringing
0: right right nice man Mm -hmm. yeah it's something i really want to check out too i really liked the comic so i i have faith that even if it's not exactly like it i'm i'm content to look at it as its own thing and i guess the way i look at it is it's just gene yang doing getting the opportunity to tell more stories right so yeah
2: totally totally yeah and if you if any listeners want to hear us talk about american-born chinese the original source material the graphic novel we talked about it back in episode 78 so that was a while ago i don't think our thoughts on it have changed really since then
0: yeah that sounds fair all right well if there's nothing else then if anyone wants to contribute to the conversation by all means hit us up you can find us at between the gutters podcast at gmail.com or you can follow us on our instagram because we need followers we need followers (laughs) we would (laughs) like you to follow us and uh you know if you follow us on between the gutters that would be awesome we're 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 so close to a thousand. We're just trying to get there. So make that happen. Um you can also follow us on Twitter, uh at Between the Gutters. And uh yeah, if you happen to be listening to us on something, by all means please uh yeah, please uh give us a high score, it'll boost us on the algorithm and help recommend us to other people. And we'd like to think that you want to recommend us to other people.
3: Mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yep, that's right. <laughs>
2: Next week, we will be covering Paul Chadwick's Concrete. We'll be reading Volume 1. Is the trade paperback of that called Depths? Is that what it's called, Albert? I believe so, yes. I believe that is the first five issues of the original series. So we'll be covering that next week. We hope you tune in. And we will continue to do what we normally do in our podcast. We will expose to the world the sadness and suffering of living for those people of integrity who are marginalized by a society of deceptions.
0: What is happening here? (laughs) I'm preaching, man. I'm preaching to the choir. Okay, okay. (laughs) I mean, you just gave me a mission statement that I was not aware of, so I feel a little (laughs) underprepared, honestly. (laughs) I was like... I I thought I was just here to rag on Todd McFarlane and Chris Claremont.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Well, that was my mission statement. (laughs) Okay.
0: Okay. Okay. That makes sense. That makes way more sense. (laughs) Thanks for listening,
2: everybody. We'll catch you next time. Peace. Bye, everyone.